Genesis 50. So um, I know you thought we would never get there, but 20 years later we, we have. Um, I think we started around COVID, somewhere around there. And uh, of course, we will go a little bit and then I kind of get tired of it. And then we go do something else and we come back. Um, so uh, next week we have our candlelight service. So uh, that give us a good little change of pace. And, um, um, and then um, so first of the year, I think we'll, we'll start something new. I have, have a few ideas that may be crazy, but it'd be different. But Genesis chapter 50 um, it's kind of a sad chapter. People die. So, so I hope, hope, hope you weren't looking for it and they all lived happily ever after. It ends with, and they all died in Egypt. So, uh, let's start in chapter 50, verse 1, which picks up right where we left off at the end of chapter 49. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Jacob has died. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and uh, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. When the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I uh, hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall be there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh answered, Go up, bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of, of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, his father's household, only their children and their flocks, uh, their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. He made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the thresh, threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Ebel Mesraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. We'll pause there. So because this chapter is dominated by death, it begins with the death of Jacob. It ends with the death of Joseph. This chapter on the more practical side actually gives us some real insight as, as to how do we handle death? What is the best way to handle death? And there's three things here. Uh, I would use the word emotions, but the third one isn't an emotion, as you'll see. So let's start here. The first is the word grief or grieve. What we get here in these 14 verses we just read is Joseph and his brothers grieving the loss of their father. Now, as we said, chapter 50 picks up where chapter 49 left off. Remember, the chapter breaks uh, were not given to us by the Holy Spirit. They were added later for, to make it easier for us to find where we are in the Bible. So as Moses is writing this, chapter 49 is bleeding right into chapter 50 because it's all one narrative. Uh, Jacob says, this is my last will and testament. He then dies, and now we pick up here uh, with Joseph's immediate response. And his first response is that of of mourning. Um, and so here we see Joseph uh, mourned uh, or is mourning. Now, death has a way 
of affecting our emotions um, in ways we often don't anticipate. The way people grieve is all over the map. In fact, a lot of, one of the things I find a lot in counseling is that people suffer often without realizing it from the grieving of others because they often grieve in an unhealthy way. There's a loved one of mine who lost a family member, close family member. And I, I remember uh, uh, sort of, you know, I, I was involved in the, the funeral and all that. And I noticed over the next few weeks, we, we, we were visiting with this family member quite a bit. Uh, they were angry, like really angry. They never cried. They, 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 they never did anything like that. They never uh, punched the wall. They, they never did anything. They were just angry. And so everything you said, the response from this person really came at a place of anger. So uh, the food wasn't right, or I don't want to do anything today, and uh, don't talk back to me, stuff like that. And I remember watching the people around them, and just they, I don't think they saw what was happening. What they th- saw was this person is angry, and they have no right to be angry at me. I've not done anything wrong. But I, I remember thinking, this is grief. It's an unhealthy way to grieve, but it's grief nonetheless. Anger is a common way in which, which we grieve. Joseph actually offers for us a really helpful way to, to grieve, and it begins with him mourning. I mean, right there in the first verse, he weeps. In fact, look at the verbs. He fell, he wept, he kissed. This is a, 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 an affectionate response common to, to grief. You know, one of the things that I found, particularly with, with my great uncle who just passed, we were close to, uh, y'all have heard me talk about him quite a bit. Actually, I think this is his shirt that he never wore. I don't know. It was a shirt that had never been opened sitting there. And I'm thinking, I've had that thing for weeks. Where, where am I going to wear it? So whether you like it or not, this might be his. I don't know. Um, actually, I think it's his tie too. Now that I think about it. Um, you can tell what I inherited from my, my uh, great uncle. But I remember I was there when he died. We all knew he was dying. Died of dementia and stuff. And, and I remember that when it was final... We all knew he's dying. That's why we were there. But the minute it was final, our emotions came. It was odd for me because I've been at the bedside of a lot of people. I've comforted a lot of families and stuff. But, but to be there as the loved one, you know they're dying. But the minute the heart stops, the minute the breathing is no more, the minute uh, the brain snap uh, uh, or, or is done, then it really hits you. You've had time to prepare for it, and there's an advantage to that. Uh, but even at that final moment, it, it, it can be overwhelming. And it is overwhelming. Joseph allows himself to mourn. And he's not ashamed to mourn. Um, and it's worth noting here that, uh, uh, that despite Joseph's position of power, he allows himself to mourn. And that's actually one of the things I think we can learn as, as Americans. Now, verse 2 and 3, Joseph has his father embalmed. This is odd for us. Because um, uh, reading the Bible, because the Hebrews don't embalm, the Egyptians do. So why would Joseph have uh, his father, patriarch of the Hebrews, uh, go through a, a, an Egyptian embalming? By the way, what we do with the body now really begins with the Civil War. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, particularly, when Lincoln was embalmed, uh, because he, he had to go on a tour, for lack of a better term, a lot of people came to see the body. And one of the things they did uh, that came out of the Civil War was they started to use chemicals and other stuff to embalm the body so that soldiers can be shipped home and whatnot. And Lincoln, they went out of their way. The best of the best for Lincoln. Um, 
anyways, uh, so, so we, we take this for granted, but for years, you just didn't have that. Uh, you, you would just bury them as, as, as fast as you could. But, but why, why would he do that? Well, only two people in the Bible are embalmed, uh, Hebrews, that is Jacob and Joseph. Uh, and we see both of them in this chapter, verse 26, if you wanna see Joseph being embalmed. The Hebrew word for embalm literally means to make something spicy. You do whatever you want with that information. I have no deep theological insight, nor can I make a connection to Jesus. It is what it is. You do with that whatever you want. Um, but the embalming at this point would often preserve hair, the flesh, the nails of the deceased. Um, now for the Egyptians, embalming was important because your body had to be preserved to go into the afterlife. And, and that's not the Hebrew idea at all. Uh, this process takes 40 days, is there in the text. And then they mourn for, for 70. And I actually think, I want to pause on the embalming. Talk about the mourning for 70 days. Now, I think the first 40 is the embalming process. But the grieving process for Jacob, the Egyptians grieve for 70 days. I want to pause on that. That is unheard of in our, our, in our day. 70 is a, a long extended time. By the way, it's 10 times 7 for those who went to public school. Um, 10 and seven are symbolic numbers of perfection or completion, seven days. And by the way, there's seven nations of Babel, you know, that leading up to the story of Babel, all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, usually what you get are 40 days of mourning. Aaron got 40 days, Moses got 40 days, so on and so forth. I want us to pause. Let's do that smaller number of 40. And let's say you go up to, to, to your boss, your family and say, I'm gonna take the next 40 days and grieve what would the response be? Not just from your boss and your company. I'm talking about your family, your friends, and fellow church members. Okay, it's been two weeks. You need to get back into the rhythm of things. It's been three weeks. I think enough is enough. This is how we think as Americans. You get maybe two days to grieve. That's it. And then we wonder why we're on so many pills and, and we, we do everything else we do. The anxious, I think, are wise here in that they realize that they must grieve. And particularly someone who's prominent in our lives, a parent in, in this case, a child, uh, uh, particularly in the ancient world, such high mortality rate uh, among kids. So um, I, think, I think you've heard me say this before. I think that is something we Americans need to learn. We really need, need to learn to do better with, that we need to grieve and we need to mourn in a healthy way because we're not doing it in a healthy way. So let's take someone who's lost a spouse or a parent or a child or someone they deeply love, and then three days later, they're back in the uh, fight of things to sell a product or to get on the assembly line or to deal with angry customers, and they have all this deep emotions. You, all of us have been in, in that situation. I remember losing a loved one, and then I had testing. We buried my loved one, and the next day I'm testing. A legislator who I met with first time buried, buried a parent and that next day is in session voting on things. And that's not healthy at all. It's not healthy at all. And it's something we Americans have got to, I don't know what the solution is, but it's something worth considering. But why, why did Joseph have Jacob embalmed? I think two reasons worth, worth highlighting. First of all, I think a practical reason it helps with the transportation from Egypt to Canaan. Uh, that's his practical reason. Also, I think another reason is um, 
Joseph is honoring his father. So there is a, a practical reason and then a, uh, a, a, a reason to honor Jacob is here's Joseph using his resources and his connections to bring honor to his father. I think there's something to that. Now, I don't think Joseph is buying into the theology of the Egyptians. I think that's clear at the end of the story. But he's saying, like, and, and, you know, as, as a son of Egypt, I've been the adopted son of Egypt. I lead Egypt. This is what we do. And this is my way of honoring my father. He takes care of basically the uh, funeral arrangement. In fact, he brings with him uh, leadership from Egypt, the family from Egypt, everyone else, uh, even chariots. So, so he has a, 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 a guard, right? You, you've been to funerals where, where there's the, the, the 21-gun salute. You military folks can make sure I'm doing that right. Uh, th- that's a great way to honor someone. It seems like Joseph is, is doing all of that. So he mourned. Secondly, he buried, verses 4 to 13. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen these stories, but studies are showing a decline in funerals. Now, the joke I've heard forever and ever, and I mean not really a joke, is that if you want to have a job that will be there forever, because you're worried about the changing economy, do I go into this technological realm? You know, do I want to be a journalist with AI is going to take my job, stuff like that? The one job you can guarantee other than, you know, being a tax man or something is funeral home business because people are going to keep dying. But we never thought, what if people decide not to have a funeral? We've already seen with the decline of Christianity a move from traditional burial to cremation. Now, part of that is economic. It's just expensive. It's expensive to do all that. Um, but there's also the, the, it seems to be a decline of the funeral service in general. Let me just say that is a terrible idea. One of my biggest beefs with cremation, I would say closed casket, though that is often necessary. My grandmother had a closed casket due to a car wreck. Is, is there is something about saying goodbye to make it a formal process, a public event by which we all gather together and say together goodbye. There is something uh, final about that, something that helps the grieving process along. Joseph has his moment of grief, and he also goes through the process of burial. And one of the things he does is he honors his father by keeping his father's wishes. What he does is exactly what Jacob had asked in chapter 47. Bury my heart at wounded knee. Take me all the way down to Canaan and bury me there. Now that is an expensive trip. That is a long trip. And Joseph says, I'll do it. The brothers say, we'll do it. And they do it. Uh, This is a, and by the way, this helps the grieving process. You know, one of the things I've found, someone asked me to bury them years ago, a family member. And and I decided not to do it. I was in school. I was really stressed out. And I thought I was, I just, I just, you know, couldn't do it. And to this day, it bothers me. What a small request to stand up and say, Jesus is enough. And I love my, my aunt or whatever it was. It's such a small sacrifice to make for someone uh, that, that you love and loved you. Uh, there's something that, that helps the grieving process to say that I was able one last time to honor my father and mother, to honor this loved one that, that we had. And that loved one may want a short service. Uh, and, and so honor that. They may want a long service. Well, honor that. They may want free bird play to their funeral. Just do it. Okay? Um, I've seen a lot of weird things at funerals. And there's something as part of the grieving process. Uh, Freebird is, is one of them. Actually, there's been several of them. Uh, I've heard Freebird seems to be a popular one. Um, 
But uh, so Joseph goes, gets permission from Pharaoh. Um, and, uh, and through this, he, he gets a whole entourage from Egypt. Um, look, look at verse nine. That is part of this process. Verse nine. Um, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. So this whole entourage. We do the same thing, right, from the funeral to the burial. It's interesting. Why do we do that? Part of it is that procession is important. And by the way, what should you be doing when you come up on a funeral procession? Stop. Pull over. I will. I've done this several times because, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a funeral home over here and we have a graveyard over here. Is, is, so we, we get a lot of these processionals go by. If I'm going outside and I see that, I will stand out in the parking lot until everyone goes by. The reason this is a big deal for me is when my grandfather was buried in Warsaw. And that was hard for us. I was freshman in high school, lost both my grandfathers within three months of each other. And buried my, my uh, uh, maternal grandfather the day uh, between my wife and I's birthday. We're two days apart. So August 26, my freshman year, we buried him. And, and I remember my cousin, my second cousin, I, I looked up to both of them and still do. And, and they say, one of the things I love about small towns is they, they honor the dead. And that was just a passing comment he made. He grew up, he, you know, was from northern Kentucky, more city folk. And, and I, I've always remembered that. It's such a small thing to do. Just pull over. So what? You're late. You should have left earlier anyways. You know, just, just do that. Anyway, what were we talking about? Verse 9. Um, so you have this whole entourage. They lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. So this seven days on top of the 70. So now you have 77 days, part of the mourning process. So it's, so it's even more. Um, the, uh, the Hebrew is literally there. They wailed a great and very strong wailing. Remember, in Hebrew, repetition is emphasis. They grieved, and the burial, the funeral, is part of that grief. Now, you'll notice they, they, they come to a place called a Todd. Uh, it's, it's probably threshing floor of a Todd's probably a place named Gor, uh, Gorin Ha Atad. Um, but again, it's described as, uh, their limitations described as great and grievous, verse 10 and 11. This is a phrase repeated only one other time, Deuteronomy 6. Um, but they grieve so strongly, the pagan Canaanites take note. They take note of it. Not that they are a people grieving without hope, but that in their grief, this person is important to them, is, is honored to them. So they name the place um, Abel or, or Abel Mizraim. Now, I know you see Abel. It is not the same word as the name Abel. Hebrew is a complicated language, which is why I prefer Greek. In Hebrew, you have no vowels. It's a complicated language. Uh, now, you have vowels. You speak vowels. You don't write vowels. So this allows a lot of play on words. It's terrible for English. We can do it some in English, but then we, we can get tripped up on some words. Hebrews, they love it. Ancient Hebrew, they actually love it. So words that share consonants... Uh, you would read what the original word was, but it allows for some puns and play on words. This is an example of that. So Mitzrayim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. And it goes all the way back to the table of nations in Genesis 10, 11. Um, so this means literally the riverbed of Egypt or the meadow of Egypt. But the consonants also means um, to mourn. That's the same consonants. So meadow, Riverbed has the same consonants as mourn. So on the one hand, it's the riverbed of Egypt. But what they're really saying, this is 
um, the mourning of Egypt. By the way, seven-day period of grief seemed to have been common. We get the same thing. I think this is in the context of Saul dying, uh, where they, they uh, uh, fast for seven days. They grieve and fast for, for seven days. Um, by the way, that's, that's a pretty common response. You've probably found in deep moments of grief to actually go without food. It's not necessarily a bad thing because fasting, when done right, is associated with prayer. And, and so, anyways, and they, they arrived to Machpelah. We looked at that story in some detail in Genesis 23. It's where the patriarchs are all buried. Um, the last thing I want to note here is that Joseph moved forward, verse 14. Um, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Do you notice that detail that you, you, he's got this entourage, but who stays back? The children and the animals. Okay, why do we need that detail? Well, a couple of reasons. One, who's going to take care of the animals? The kids. Um, this is probably a trip not for the kids. But also, leaving them there means they've got to go back and pick up where they left off. So let me just, just complain. First of all, we don't allow ourselves to grieve. And my other complaint is we don't allow ourselves to move forward. And I see both errors. And there are many people who... Uh, it is 20 years later and they're still dealing with grief because they never grieved. They never grieved. And it's ruined all their relationships. And they think, well, no one loves me. No, no, the problem is you've pushed people away because of your grief. You have to do both. You have to grieve. You have to move forward. Both are hard. Both are really hard, but, but, but they have to be done. Um, Think about how many marriages and children have been negatively impacted because someone refuses to move forward. So a couple loses a child, but they have two or three more kids. And those kids will say, everything changed when my brother died. It's almost as if they forgot that we were still here. And unfortunately, that's a sad reality. Um, now, I want to be sympathetic to both sides, but we have to move forward as hard as that is. Um, Joseph grieved grievously with a great grief but he did not do so permanently. He returned home. Uh, the land of Egypt depended on him. His wife and kids depended on him. And they needed him. They needed him. Not just the grieving part of him. All right, the second emotion is that of guilt. Verses 15 to 21. This, here's a common one. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, you already know where this is going, don't you? You already know. Boy, let me tell you, when people die, family drama comes to the forefront. I've told this story before, I'm sure, but I love it so much. I mean, it's a sad story, but I love it. Uh, I was asked to do a funeral. A guy, I had no idea who he was. No one in the church knew who he was. He grew up in the, in the town where, my, where the church was. It was a ghost town. So, like, so the only thing left was a few farmhouses and the farms. It was an old railroad. It's, called, it's now called the Railroad Road. Not making that up. And, but they stripped the railroad out, made the town a ghost town. It's the second largest town in the county. Pulled the railroad out. Nothing's there now. It's just farm. In fact, past the church is a gravel road. And so there's nothing down there. So when people who grew up in that town, all six of them, they die, they want the preacher of Glendine to bury them. This person uh, graduated, left the town, and then died and is going to be buried in that cemetery. So, so I asked the preacher. So the, the, the Sunday before, I said, hey, I've been asked to do this pseudo for someone. I don't know who they are. But I would like for someone to come help me. At the very least, we're going to offer coffee for the grieving family afterwards. Okay, that was it. And someone helped me with that. I'm very grateful for it. But I, I go that, that, that day for the uh, visitation funeral all sort of put together. And I walk in, and there's like three cops inside. And if you know anything about funerals is they stay on the outside of their cars waiting for the processional. 
If they're inside, that's not good. And it wasn't good. Because while they were planning their father's funeral, it's like seven sons. One of them stole a bunch of stuff from the funeral home. And the cops were inside waiting for him to show up to arrest him. At his father's funeral, they're going to arrest him. And uh, I said, well, do you anticipate him to be here? Oh, no, he's probably dead, drunk, and high in a ditch somewhere. We're just waiting for the body to be found. This guy had been a problem kid for a long, long time. Long, long time. There was one brother who made it out with a little bit of sanity. And he was the one, and every family has this one person who sort of organizes everything. You were probably it in, in, in some funeral. And everything went through him. He, he was sober. The other ones weren't sober. And he stood up there, and, and he, 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 he talked to me. He told me about his father. I changed my message just in talking to him. I think I did the prodigal son, actually. And um, uh, he, was, he was a delight. And we went and did the service and everything. Here's the point. When people die, there's drama. I'm willing to bet there's people in your family you have not hardly talked to since so-and-so died. And I bet that so-and-so was a patriarch of that family. I've got them in my family. We don't talk to them. There's someone who died in my family I grew up with. We didn't go to the funeral. Didn't go to the funeral. And no one in our family went to the funeral. You've got in your family. I know you do. Boy, I do. family drama comes to the forefront in death. That's part of the emotion of grief. But what happens is one person can sort of hold everything together. And when that one person's gone, all that baggage comes to the forefront because we never practice the biblical principles of forgiveness and reconciliation. As long as PayPal is alive, everything's okay. As long as mom is still hanging around, we'll get along come Thanksgiving. Well, now mom's gone and we'll never have Thanksgiving again. You've got in your family, I got into mine. And Joseph's got it in his family. After all, we've read the story of Joseph. Talk about drama. So uh, dad is gone, and they said there in verse 15, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. How convenient we forgot to put this in writing and have uh, dad sign it. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. By the way, notice they are not going directly to Joseph. They're going through a mediator. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them, literarily, is because Joseph did the same thing to Pharaoh. I think one of the reasons is to show hierarchy. Pharaoh is above Joseph. Joseph is above his brothers in the hierarchy of Egypt. And that fulfills the original dream. No, that his, even his father thought was outlandish. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, verse 17, because they did evil to you. Interesting word. And now, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. There is the fulfillment of the dream. The ultimate fulfillment in the context of guilt and grief. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you see right away the connection between Noah and Joseph? God chose Noah to save a few. God is now choosing Joseph to save many. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, there's just so much here. Um, but I am going to try, try to keep it pretty, pretty practical. Okay, so grief is not the only emotion around death, but certainly guilt shows up. 
uh, and guilt is quite powerful. One of the things that happens when people die is we start to regret everything we've done in that person's life. I didn't prioritize Thanksgiving and Christmas. I thought my life was more important. I didn't call them as often as I should have because life just got too busy and I made excuses. I shouldn't have said those things to them 10 years ago. I bet that really wounded them. Guilt is a common emotion of, 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 of grief, of grief, and it makes it really difficult. One of the things I've found people say is, I was unwilling to forgive, and now they're dead. I'm, I'm ready to forgive. What do I do with that? Like, well, there's only one thing you can do. You got to nail that to the cross because you will never be forgiven by that person. They're gone. And you can never receive it. You can never have that, that moment of reconciliation. That moment's gone. You've lost it. Not until uh, we see Christ face to face. All you can do is hand it over to Jesus on the cross. And man, that is a heavy weight to carry. It's a heavy weight. And you can get why these guys are all worked up. In fact, they're in verse 15. You can see their insecurities. Is he gonna pay us back? The word they use, at least the writer uses, is the same word used in chapter 49 that the brothers give to explain why they did to Joseph what they did. It was for retaliation. They didn't like he was favored by dad. They didn't like he, he had the coat of many colors. They didn't like his attitude. So they paid him back. So now whether they're afraid of retributive justice, Joseph will do to us what we did to him. And Joseph really has two options. Either he can choose bitterness and anger and, and, and all that sort of stuff that's been building up on him, or he can choose forgiveness. And, and this is why it's a spiritual issue. Had he not forgiven them from a distance, he could never forgive them up close. So when he's sitting there in the prison, at the lowest point of his life, that is when he had better learn to forgive. Because when the moment of truth comes and they're standing face to face, you have all that power. You had better already address this in your hearts. Do not put off forgiveness. Do not do it. And so um, uh, he extends to them uh, forgiveness. Uh, whether or not their story about dad told us to say this, you know, I'll let you decide if, if that really happened. By the way, notice there in verse 16 and 17, they, they say what they did to him was evil. Does anyone have a different translation? Does everyone says evil? Probably is. Good translation. The Hebrew word goes all the way back to a little important tree known as the tree of knowledge. Tree of knowledge of good and raw. Evil. Good and bad. It's a generic term for bad, but when it's inflected like this, it would mean evil. So, so you begin with, here's the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Don't eat of it. And what you get in Genesis is mankind are constantly eating of that tree. Cain killing Abel. Ham doing a thing with, with, with his father and mother. Um, Abraham choosing Hagar, eating of the fruit. Over and over again. And then what, what does we get here at the very last chapter? Oh, you want to know what happened with Joseph's brothers? They ate the wrong fruits. They did what was bad. Even though they knew good and bad, they choose bad. And so uh, at least they're willing to, to admit it. The center of the story, verse 19 and 20, am I in the place of God? Okay, that's, that's a great question. When it comes to forgiveness, at the end of the day, if justice is God's prerogative, 
You holding on to your anger is you standing in the place of God. Remember that. It's why you've got to let it go and forgive people. It's not fair. Of course it's not. Your feelings are hurt. I know they are. You're not in the position of God. Justice is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Ode a New Testament affirms that. Uh, but the center part of the story of Joseph is there in verse 20. You meant evil against me. God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of many. By the way, this is not unique to Joseph. This sort of language is found all over the place. Uh, Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man. Okay, uh, we, we come up with all kinds of ideas. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You see God's sovereign providential care. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his ways? So we're meditating on Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his ways. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That is not a man in man who walks to, 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 to direct his steps. The idea is that... Um, that God is able to take the evil of humanity and bring about good. God writes straight lines with crooked sticks. I think it's the old saying. And that's good news because here's reality. You and I are just evil. We're deeply evil. And if God cannot overcome our evil, then it will never be good. And story of Joseph is great with this. One last thing we need to add here, and that is faith. Faith. Um, let's pick up in verse 22, 26. Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. That's a good long life by Egyptian standards. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Uh, so this is through adoption. Jacob did something similar. Uh, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's the first time those three names were put together like that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's all over the Old Testament first shows up here because Jacob's dead now. So now he is part of the patriarchal title. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's the end of the story. It's a terrible ending, isn't it? Boy, what a terrible ending. Let's look at it. Joseph's story uh, ends here. He spends the rest of his life in Egypt in a leadership position, no doubt, before retirement. And maybe we found, you know, the little pyramid he was buried in. We saw that several weeks ago. Um, he lives to see his great-great-grandchildren, if my math is right. That's, that's a good thing right there. That is a good thing. Um, but it ends with a prophecy. Despite making Egypt his home of refuge, it is not his nor his people's home. And he says there, verse 24, God will visit. This is emphatic in the Hebrew, literally Visiting, God will visit. So, so this is, Genesis is setting up Exodus. Uh, it's, it's a cliffhanger. In fact, we get the same language. The next time this language is used, the word visit is used, is in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there it is, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you. Visiting, I will visit you. And so, we immediately say, I've read that somewhere. Oh yeah, Joseph told me about that. Joseph said this is gonna happen and here, here it is. Um, and we should note that between Genesis 50 and Exodus 3 is several hundred years. God does not function on our timeline, function on his. 
you and I will probably die before we see the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises for the United States of America. And that's okay. That's okay. Well, most significant is his final request there in verse 25. He wants his bones buried in Canaan. This is similar to the story of Jacob. Um, this was fulfilled, Exodus 13. Uh, imagine being Moses. Okay, everyone's packed up? Good, 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 good. All right, everyone, we had Passover? Good, all right. We, 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 got, we got Pharaoh telling us we can go. All right, you got your sheep? You got your household goods? We got a little bit of food for the trip? Okay, and someone goes back like, you forgot Joseph's bones? Oh, right. <laughs> what tribe is supposed to do in that? I mean, so, so you're going to carry out these bones, right? And that, that, that's what happens. Joshua will, will eventually lead to the burial of the bones uh, in, in Shechem there. Um, and here's the thing. When you come to the, uh, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac and Jacob, by faith, Moses, what do you think he chose for Joseph? By faith, Joseph persevered through the prison, the pit. By faith, Joseph led uh, the people of Israel and the Egyptians through a great famine. By faith, Joseph maintained his righteousness in a pagan land and forgave his brothers. Yeah, that, that'd be good. You want to know what the writer of Hebrews chose? By faith, Joseph requested that he be buried in the, in the land of Canaan. <coughs> It's terrible, isn't it? Only on the surface, it's terrible. In fact, notice how terrible this is. The last two words of Genesis, it's in your English Bibles, in the Hebrew Bible. What are the last two words in Genesis? In Egypt. In Egypt. It's a story that's incomplete because that's not how the story began. This is your land that I will give you. You be a father of many nations, and I will bless your people. And it ends with, you're out of the land, and you're dead, and you're still out of the land. But what is Joseph's last requests? His hope of eternity is not the way of the Egyptians. It's the way of the Hebrews. I think this is a hint of Joseph's theology of the afterlife. For one, we get hints that the idea that to be buried in the promised land was to have an afterlife, and there's ancient Near Eastern ideas for that. But he wants to go there, to be buried there, because that's the promise. And he dies believing the promise. I am a type of Messiah, but I am not the Messiah. And that's how the story has to end. How is Joseph the true and better Jesus? Think about it. Genesis begins with a story of creation and life. It's a great story. It ends in exile and death. It is a story of humanity. This is the story of the earth. That's why I love Genesis so much. So we have gone from the Garden of Eden to the wilderness of death. It's a terrible ending. Well, the answer is ultimately is that we're not looking for a Joseph. We're not looking for a Moses. We're not looking for a David. We're looking for a Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus sits at the right hand of the king and uses his power to forgive those who sold him, betrayed him, and thought they had killed him. Like Joseph, 
Jesus is sold by a brother for money. Like Joseph, Jesus is handed over to a foreign power. Like Joseph, Jesus has to go down into Egypt. Like Joseph, Jesus has to go down into exile. Remember, the pit is a picture of death. Like Joseph, Jesus extends forgiveness to those who did him wrong. Like Joseph, Jesus' forgiveness procures his family a permanent home, an oasis in the middle of a wilderness. And like Joseph, Jesus dies without a bone broken and his body preserved. However, unlike Joseph, Jesus is the adopted son of a man named Joseph, is buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb of a man named Joseph, but he doesn't stay there. Not because his body is moved, but because he conquers the grave. So Joseph died in the land of Egypt, only to be buried in Canaan. Jesus died in the land of Rome, only to later ascend to take his throne. Joseph dies longing for redemption, longing for a better land, and longing to see God's promises. Jesus is what Joseph longed for. He is a true and better Joseph. The story of Joseph ends with him explaining how God overcame evil for good. That is the story of Jesus in a nutshell. The cross is the climax of human evil. And God overcame human evil by his glorious good. Isn't that good news? So yeah, it's a terrible ending. It's a sad ending. Your hero dies and, you know. But when you see it in light of what is to come, you realize it is a great ending. It's a great ending indeed. That is the book of Genesis. We made it. We made it to the end, 50 chapters. Let's do Exodus next week. No, I'm kidding. Um, we could. I do love, love Exodus too. All right, Danny, did we miss anything? In all of Genesis, did we miss it? One or two things we may have. <laughs>